0: the Legal Technology Review Podcast. As always, I am your host, Brian Folk, civil litigator and author of the Cyber Advocate blog. And I want to remind everybody out there that if you enjoy the podcast, uh, go ahead and share us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, whatever you use. Uh, if you use Snapchat, WhatsApp, anything, go ahead and uh, share us with your friends and your followers because that's how anyone hears us. I wanted to thank our guest today, Ms. Gina Cho. Thank you for joining us.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: This is, uh, as we were discussing a little bit ago, this is a different type of show for me. Usually, I try to you know tell people how they can improve their law practice by implementing technology, which usually involves new processes, faster output, getting more done in a shorter amount of time, efficiency, hopefully improving profits, and hopefully improving your client's service, but oftentimes, any time you, you implement new processes like that, or you really pushing for change while at the same time trying to do your job as a lawyer, it can take a toll. And it's why I wanted to talk with you today, Gina, because you have recently written a lot of really interesting stuff and you've got a book coming out that I want to talk about a little bit later. But one of the biggest concepts that you have been pushing and speaking about this past summer all across the country is mindfulness, Um, just so that we can make sure that everyone's operating on the same level when we talk about this. What is mindfulness?
1: Mindfulness means to be in the present moment without preference or judgment. So lawyers are particularly prone to this. Um, Have you ever had a situation where you're sitting at home and your mind is back at the office thinking about all the stuff left undone or vice versa when you're at the office and you're thinking about all the things that you should be doing at home or you're just kind of always feeling like you should be someplace else than where you, you are? So we actually want to break that habitual pattern and just be with whatever is happening in the present moment. So that's sort of the dictionary definition of mindfulness. And we can talk more about the fullness of mindfulness as we go along.
0: I think that's an interesting thing because there's a preoccupation that can happen anytime you have you know pressure at home or at work and any kind of deadline is going to trigger that so you're you're naturally going to be thinking all right what do i have coming up that needs to get done prioritizing things like that but i think one of the things as lawyers that we do is it becomes so much of our routine that you're right instead of being where we are we tend to especially fill up quiet times with noise in our head is that
1: Absolutely. And I jokingly tell people that I started meditating because I got t- tired of showering with all of my clients. <laughs> I'd get up in the morning, be showering, shampooing my hair, and I'd be going through my client list or something that the judge said a week ago or Something that our opposing counsel said to me a year ago, right? And we're constantly just occupying our mind, just as you said, with all these different thoughts that are not really helping us any. It's one thing if you're actually working through an issue and actively trying to solve it or come up with some novel way of looking at it. It's another thing when that mind just does that, or like, pointless rumination, you know, where you're just reliving or rethinking some idea over and over again in your head. And it's not really serving any function.
0: That's interesting. I think that there are, I guess, two completely different uh, types of Overthinking—that it sounds like you're trying to help lawyers avoid—and of course, you know, as a practicing lawyer, you've got just like in anything. I mean, when I when I advise people about technology, one of the things about uh, that I can bring to the table is I can talk about how technology helps me as a lawyer, or how I would like to see technology help my firm, from which I get a lot of inspiration. (laughs) The idea, though, that there are two things that lawyers probably really don't need to be doing much of. Number one, as you're saying, is showering with your clients, where you are constantly in your head going through things that are that you might need to do, overthinking the future. But then there's also what you mentioned, just the ruminating on the past, or overthinking the past. What in your mind is a healthy approach to thinking about what's coming up and and also thinking back on events that have happened in the past?
1: I don't know that it's necessarily all that healthy to ruminate on something that is going to happen in the future because, of course, we really don't have any control over it. And even if we do try to predict how things are going to happen in the future, it never really goes down the way we think it's going to. And then, of course, ruminating on the past doesn't really serve any function. You know, I think trying to live in the present moment the best we can is really the happiest mind that we can, you know, we can have. And there's lots of study that shows that being in the present moment increases your awareness and therefore increases your baseline of happiness.
0: Speaking from your own experience, what other more, I guess, specific and more I don't even know if tangible is the right word, but direct benefits have you been able to derive from practicing mindfulness?
1: Oh, my gosh, so many things. Um, and I guess since this is a technology show, I guess we'll start there. I feel as though I have a much better handle on my relationship with technology. And I think this is something that we're all struggling with. And I really do feel like this is sort of the next frontier is how do we live in a collaborative and a cooperative environment with our technology and not allow it to become a disease. You know, I talked to a lot of lawyers, and they'll tell me like, you know, my iPhone is actually causing so much anxiety. Every time the thing buzzes, you know, I get that bit of adrenaline shot. So now I I'm much more aware of when I'm using digital technology and also kind of pausing for a moment and asking myself why. I think a lot of us just sort of use our iPhone habitually. Like we don't even think about it. It's just you have a moment you're standing at the grocery line and you have 30 seconds before you're the next person or while the guy is checking you out. You're just on your phone and it's totally habitual. It's not because there's anything happening, there's anything important. It's just we're actually sort of afraid of experiencing boredom or just being with life as is. So it really allows me to just be more fully present in the details and the nuance of my life. I've also gotten a lot better about not having uh, so many knee-jerk reactions. So we're constantly reactionary, right? Like something happens, somebody cuts you off on the highway. And in that moment, you have a knee-jerk reaction and you lay on your horn. And instead of doing that, now I have that pause between the stimulus and my response. So rather than having a reaction, I'm able to have a more calculated and thought-out response I've also become a lot more uh, compassionate towards myself and others. I think as lawyers, we're constantly driven by our inner critic and this feeling of inadequacy and always feeling like a failure and not being good enough and um, all that you know negativity that. We tend to feed off of and you know, I'm also able to just not try to change things that I have no control over. And in the practice of law, there are so many of those, right? Like, you know, we don't have control over our opposing counsel or his or her clients or the witnesses or the law or the facts. Yet we act as though we have control over everything. And of course, we don't. So really letting go of those things that we don't have control over and stepping into the arena where I do have control and doing the best that I can.
0: I will say that is one of my favorite things. The Serenity Prayer has to be one of my absolute favorite mantras to live by, and I was not very good at letting go of things that I couldn't control. And I, I spent probably better part of five years trying to implement. Look, if it's something you can do, something about, act on it. If it's beyond your control, don't worry about it. Even if you're going to think about it even if it's something that may, that may trouble you acknowledging the fact that you're not going to fix it right. right now, or, you know, even things that you're going to have an opportunity to fix. Okay. If I can fix something tomorrow, but I can't fix something until tomorrow at 9 30 AM, I will worry about fixing it tomorrow at nine thirty AM. There's no need to stress about it now because no matter what, I can't fix it until then.
2: Yeah.
0: And I think that's a very important and very powerful tool. And I, and I will say that I never, as much as I knew that I needed to fix it in my own life, I never appreciated how much that can impact the people around me Mm -hmm. until I did that, until I started seeing, you're, you're able to see, you know, in other people around you when they clearly are not able to let go of something that is obviously beyond their control. And you see the effect that it has not just on them, but on the people around them. And so it's, I, I think that's a, it's a very powerful lesson to learn.
1: Yeah, and it causes so much unnecessary suffering, right? You know, and like the things that you don't have control over, trying to control it is as pointless or as you know helpless as standing in front of the ocean and trying to push back the waves like it's it's not gonna work um and you know that like in the final part of that poem um the serenity prayer is the wisdom to know the difference like knowing the difference between the things that you actually can control and the things that you can't because sometimes that's not even so obvious uh-huh. So I think that takes um wisdom and and I guess also mindfulness also helps me to be a wise counselor um, you know as a in my profession as you know thinking outside of the four corners of the law and really looking at the client situation more holistically which is really helpful cuz I deal with clients that have overwhelming debt and a lot of times their problems are partly legal but you know a lot of it is psychological or emotional or you know, there's lots of different reasons behind it. So kind of digging in a little bit and seeing, you know, what's causing the underlying issue.
0: You're listening to Legal Technology Review on the Cyber Advocate. Don't forget to follow all of the latest on tools and technology for legal service professionals at www.thecyberadvocate.com now We talk about, you know, what tangible benefits, or I use the word tangible because I can't think of any direct benefits, probably the best way. Mm -hmm. Talk about what direct benefits you get from mindfulness. What are the approaches? How do you come to this level of mindfulness? What can you do to get there? What, and what do you do to get there?
2: So the
1: primary way that at least I access mindfulness is through meditation and meditation is a practice where you practice stilling your body and observing your mind Um And I want to make clear that a lot of times lawyers will tell me why I tried meditating and I couldn't get my thoughts to stop. That's not the quote-unquote goal of meditation. Meditation is actually just a practice of observing your mind as it is and becoming more familiar with yourself, which sounds a little bit odd because it's like you're with yourself all the time. But in many ways, we're sort of strangers to ourselves, so... It's this active practice of getting to know your inner self and also kind of getting to know your habitual patterns, like recognizing, oh, when A happens, I always think B. But looking at it a little more critically, you might realize, well, that thought, that habitual thought that I always have may or may not be so accurate,
0: right? Well, it's an interesting uh, parallels I've I've found is one of the biggest things that you can do to, get, to become a better writer is to write and then go back and read your own stuff because mm-hmm. as you find that when you're doing that, you, you get to kind of examine how you write and how your thought process goes. And it's amazing as you go along thinking, you look back on, so I look back on something I wrote six months ago and I say, how did I expect anyone reading this post to get from point A to point B? <laughs>
2: there's,
0: there's a premise here. There's a conclusion here. But there are about three premises or other, you know, underlying factors that any reader would have to know in order to understand where my conclusion comes from. But Mm -hmm. at the time that didn't occur to me. And I think that, you know, there are so many things that you can presume. So yeah, knowing yourself and being able to understand how you react and respond to things can be a very powerful and a very useful tool, especially for attorneys who have to spend time explaining things, who have to deal with clients, deal with judges, other attorneys, everything like that.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And then there's sort of, um, so that's the meditation is the formal way of practicing mindfulness. And then the informal way of practicing mindfulness is, you know, just practicing intentionally being in the present moment. Um, So oftentimes, I'll just set little reminder bells on my phone. And when that bell goes off, I'll just stop and take a couple of deep intentional breaths, like actually pushing the breath all the way down to my diaphragm, because when we're stressed, we start to breathe just from our chest and that sends more stress signals and releases more stress hormones. Um, And even just like, you know, you can pick certain activities that you do on a regular basis throughout your day. So for example, I will, when I'm washing my hands, I will do that mindfully. So instead of just sort of doing it mindlessly, and sort of doing it on autopilot, I'll just do it with full attention. So, you know, I'll really feel the temperature of the water, feel the soap in my hands and just really make it a pleasant experience. And by the way, it's interesting that there's a lot of research that suggests doing something on a regular basis with mindfulness, or I guess some people would say with gratitude, increases your baseline of happiness. So if you want to be happy, you know, do something a, on a regular basis and really pay attention to it. So instead of getting up in the morning, opening your eyes, and just hopping right out of bed, you know, just open your eyes and think of one thing that you're grateful for. You know, it's like, wow, you get another day.
0: Or if you're like me, waking up in the morning, Slowly falling out of bed, staggering to the shower that, you know, <laughs> I could do it then. It's just, um, well, you know, it's, it, it's interesting what you said about being grateful. And, you know, I don't want to necessarily bog you down with too many of the, the personal examples. But I remember there was, there was a time where I actually had a, a roommate and my father actually said, you know, sometimes, Brian, it seems like you are not happy unless, unless you have something to be miserable about. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, you, when you get into the habit of complaining about everything. And so I actually, and I sat down, I thought about that for a long time and I spent, I made it a point and this was while I was in law school. So, you know, among the most stressful, horrible years of my life yeah. s- to say, okay, anytime asks, anyone asks me how I'm doing, instead of complaining about something, I'm going to tell them that I'm doing well mm. or, you know, that it's that's a good day. And I spent a, a, a y- better part of a year focusing uh. on doing that. And the amazing thing was. It worked. Yeah. By by telling people that I was having a good day. And it's a remarkable power the mind has because by telling myself over and over again the day was going well through telling it to other people, it brightened up my outlook and the I'm an incredible believer of the power of the mind over the body. Mm-hmm. There is a lot of power that your brain has, and it can bring you up. It can bring you down just through a simple outlook. And I think it's it, it really is a remarkable thing to uh, to feel and experience. And again, it's one of those things that you can hear about, but until you try it, until you actually sit down and say, "I'm going to put this into practice," because, dear God, if I have to be this miserable, you know, this much longer you know yeah. i'm not going to it's you you can you can bring yourself and everyone around you down or you can try something and it's it doesn't need to be anything more sometimes than just telling telling yourself by way of telling other people i'm doing okay
2: yeah,
1: yeah. And, you know, there's this um, researcher, and I think he's at Harvard psychologist, um, Sean Ecker, and he wrote a book on happiness, and it became the New York Times bestseller. And he says 90% of your happiness is determined not by the external circumstances, but how you interpret this situation. And we all have this negativity bias where we see what is wrong with every situation instead of looking at all the things that are going correctly or going right. I mean, even on the most miserable day where, you know, I get beaten up by the other side, or, you know, my clients goes against my advice, and then tries to blame me for it, or, you know, I get a flat tire, or whatever the circumstances may be, there's always something to be grateful for. You know, like I have clean water, running water, or I have enough food to eat, or I have roof over my shoulder, or, you know, I have a healthy body. And there are just endless things that we can be grateful for. So you can either choose to feed that negativity bias. Um, and, and, you know, we are hard primed, to do this as primates that you know we don't want to mistake um you know a stick for or we don't want to mistake a, a snake for a stick a stick and then mistakenly, you know, step on it. So we are like really hardwired to look for things to go wrong, but it can have this negative impact on our psyche as well. So just, you know, noticing
0: that. Well yeah, even even beyond evolutionary, I mean even some of the basic better safe than sorry. Yeah. Is the concept of, you know, it's I would, you know, I would rather fear you until you've proven that I don't need to then, then trust you. And it is, I think you're right. It's a, it's a very it's a reactionary, um, basically evolutionary system that you know that we've set up and uh, that doesn't always translate effectively into the modern professional world.
1: Yeah, and of course, law school kind of also teaches you to think that way. I mean, we're literally trained to think of everything that can go wrong in any given circumstance. So, you know, it's like just exercising the other parts of your muscle a little bit.
0: All right. Well, we are talking to Gina Cho about mindfulness and how it can help attorneys uh, who are, well, really any attorneys who are practicing law, who are dealing with stress, or who just simply want to be able to experience the moment a little bit better. Uh, You're listening to the Legal Technology Review podcast, and we'll be right back. this podcast head over to itunes look up the legal technology review and leave us a rating and review while you're there you can go ahead and subscribe to the legal technology review podcast and never miss an episode or any of the great information on tools and technology for legal service professionals All right, welcome back. We're talking with Gina Cho about mindfulness. Now, Gina, I really want to know what brought you to this? What made you decide this is something that I'm going to talk to lawyers about?
1: I think the title of my book says it all, The Anxious Lawyer. I used to be incredibly anxious and and the anxiety just got so severe. The anxiety and stress actually was so severe that I started losing hair. Um, so my boyfriend at the time now my husband he proposed and this was back in 2008 and 2009 and of course we had a bankruptcy practice so it was just way too many things piled on top of each other and we were planning for our wedding and I noticed that I was losing hair so I went to a doctor and he ran every test and he told me Gina there's nothing physically wrong with you this is all in your head and I looked at him and I said you're crazy what are you talking about this isn't in my head there's clearly something physically wrong with me Um, And it's interesting because when I look back on that time, it's not just the hair loss. I think the hair loss was sort of the final straw. But, you know, I would have fairly regular headaches and insomnia and all these psychosomatic symptoms that My body was telling me, hey, you have to pay attention. Something isn't right here. And a good friend of mine told me about this treatment program for anxiety at Stanford. And so I went in and they diagnosed me with social anxiety disorder. Um, And I went through the treatment program, the cognitive behavioral therapy. And that was really helpful. But they also told me about this other treatment program called Mindfulness Based Stress Reduction. And I was a meditator when I was in law school. So that really felt familiar. And intuitively, it made sense that if I can calm my mind, that the anxiety would dissipate. So I went through the Mindfulness Based Stress Reduction program at Stanford. And it it just changed my life. You know, it's not that I don't have stress or anxiety anymore, because I certainly do. And I probably have just as much now. But the way that I respond to those stressful or anxiety provoking situation has gotten so much better. And I liken it to just having a lot more tools in my toolbox for being able to deal with the stresses and the anxieties of life. And I think it's unfortunate that lawyers really don't get much training in terms of self-care or wellness, um, you know, versus, let's say, the mental health profession where they get a ton of training on things like vicarious trauma and secondary trauma and compassion fatigue and all these things. And of course, we as lawyers, we're often exposed to those type of traumas as well that, you know, from our clients and we're never really given any tools except maybe, you know, happy hours. Um, So when I learned about mindfulness, I really felt strongly that this is a tool that can help lawyers and, and there's so many scientific studies and data to back this up. And now we have brain scans that show the before and after impact of meditation. And I really felt like this was something that helped me so much that I firmly believe it can help other lawyers. So that's how I ended up teaching mindfulness and meditation to lawyers.
0: I think there's probably no more valuable uh source of education than someone teaching you who's gone through it, no matter what it is. Yeah. Some people are great teachers no matter what, but you're probably gonna learn basketball better from someone who played. You're gonna, you know, understand the experiences of someone who's gone through, you know, loss of a loved one much more so from someone who just who has dealt with the loss of a sibling, a parent, a relative. And so I think the fact that it's something that you've gone through and you've dealt with is incredibly I mean Let's face it; it adds credibility. Yeah, it's a story that lawyers we can look at and we can say, "Okay, this isn't someone who's this isn't someone who's writing a, a self-help book. This is someone who is writing about themselves as a way of letting me know how I can help myself." Right. And so, I yeah, think that's a, that's a very it, I think it's a very critical difference.
1: Thank you. Yeah, and and I also tell lawyers all the time, "Hey, you know, this it's it's just a tool, right? I mean, it's not a." Cure all, and it has to be part of a much larger, more holistic way of living your life. And it has to include things like, you know, diet and exercise. Um, and, you know, but I really think that awareness, being aware of how you're treating your body, your mind, what you're doing on a moment to moment basis is critical because if you're not aware, then you can't begin to notice the changes that you'd want to make, right? So I think it's it's such an important tool for every,
0: every aspect of life. Now I want to move on to talk about more specifically uh, meditation and the process of meditation. And I think I guess what we're gonna we're gonna do in a couple minutes is we're actually you're gonna walk through a meditation session. So er, anyone who's listening, you can take some time wherever you are, unless you're driving. If you're driving and listening to this podcast in the car, you're not allowed to actually close your eyes and meditate.
1: Waiting, (laughs) you're all all lawyers, so you're not allowed. (laughs) No, you
0: you can wait till you get home. But um, first, I want to talk to you about meditation in general. What kind of things do you hear from lawyers? when you first proposed the idea of meditation?
1: Oftentimes they'll tell me, well, I tried meditating once and it didn't work. That is by far the most common thing I'll hear. And I'll say, well, do you go to the gym once and exercise and say it didn't work because all of a sudden your body doesn't look like Brad Pitt's or, you know, whoever. Um, you know, there is this sort of, putting it's it's a practice that's it's called a practice for a reason. You're never gonna master it. I guess that's the other sort of the second thing that I hear from lawyers all the time is I suck at doing this. (laughs) And it makes sense because you know we're such perfectionists and when you start to meditate it shows you all these habitual patterns of your mind. And one of the habitual patterns of your mind, it's probably something like, I must be perfect all the time, or I'm going to be a failure. Like we live in this very binary black or white world. They'll often, um, lawyers will often tell me, you know, I really suck at meditating. And it's like, well, what does that even mean?
0: Yeah, we, we tend to set some pretty high bar to cross when we don't actually have. What does it mean to succeed? I mean, but you say you suck at it. How do you know?
1: Right. <laughs> Especially at something like meditation, which the whole, I guess, if to the extent that there is a purpose, the practice is all about non striving and non doing, which we, you know, I think meditation is so unique in that. Like when in your life do you intentionally practice the art of non-doing and non-striving? And what does that even look like? Because we're always striving and we're always doing as lawyers. I think it really kind of forces you to um, exercise a whole nother set of muscles. The other thing lawyers will often tell me is, well, I think meditation is going to make me soft or make me lose my edge. And I think that's an important point to address. Um, and as I said earlier, meditation and mindfulness is just a tool and it's also a self-guided tool. It's not like the tool is going to do anything to you or to your mind. It's you practicing using this tool on your own. And I think there's this sort of uh, stereotype that you know meditators are like sitting there navel gazing, and they think of a monk sitting up out in the mountains and contemplating their life. And you know the the mindfulness and meditation, the way I've learned it and the way I teach it, is a is a 2015 version of a very ancient practice. So, you know, when you look at teams like the Seahawks or the U.S. Army using mindfulness and meditation, like you want to be able to increase your focus and resiliency so that you can do your best work. And you can use mindfulness as a tool and you can use it in many different ways. You know, I mean, you could literally use it to become a better trained soldier or, you know, or a basketball player or a football player or whatever it is that you want to set your mind on. Um, So I guess those are sort of the big um, questions or things that lawyers will often struggle with when they first start meditating.
0: What types of success stories have you gotten from the lawyers you've talked to about how they feel after uh, adopting meditation and a more mindful approach?
1: So I've taught um, an eight-week mindfulness and meditation class to lawyers five different times. And the typical things I'll hear, um, I mean, some of it is sort of small in a sense that, you know, I don't go crazy when somebody cuts me off when I'm driving to work and I don't lose my temper when I'm stuck in traffic. Again, one of those situations that we have absolutely no control over. If you just think about, it, if you're, you know, if you're one of those people that like literally just loses your, like, you know, it just drives you crazy when you're sitting in traffic, not being in that mental state is a huge stress reliever. Um, I've also had people People tell me that they're more intentional about what they eat. So a lot of us habitually eat to self-soothe. And there's actually a whole curriculum and program around mindful eating, which is, um, it's not a diet, but it's a much more um, healthier way to approach eating and food. I've also had people tell me that they, um, they their relationships with other people have improved because when you're mindful you're noticing what's going on inside of you and also what's going on with the other person. and so you you learn this art of deep listening and being fully present um, to that person and to the experience that's unfolding in front of you right now. Um, I've also had trial lawyers tell me that they are um, a little uh, nicer to <laughs> nicer to be around. <laughs>
0: Well, I, I will say I'm happiest when I'm in front of a jury And I think I'm a pleasure to be around Regardless of uh, mindful behavior But yeah, you know, I, I, I can understand where that would, be the, uh, would not be the norm But I also understand where that might not be Exactly what everyone else would say about me So you, you never know <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Legal Technology Review Podcast We're here with Gina Cho And when we come back, we're going to be walking through a meditation So stick around Forget you can subscribe to the Legal Technology Review on any of your favorite podcast apps or over at iTunes. Just search for Legal Technology Review or The Cyber Advocate. Also, don't forget you can get all the information on the latest tools and technology for legal service professionals at www.thecyberadvocate.com. Okay, welcome back here on the Legal Technology Review podcast. uh, Here with Gina Cho and Let's get to it. Walk us through a meditation.
1: Yeah, I'd be happy to. So wherever you are, um, presumably you're probably sitting in an office chair. um, So that's a great place to be. So we want to actually set up our body in a way that is conducive to meditation. So you want to place both feet firmly on the ground. And just take a moment to really feel the bottom of your feet, the soles of your feet on the ground below you or in your shoes. Then moving up the body, just notice your lower legs, your knees, your upper legs your thighs and feeling your hip and your hip bones and really ground yourself in the seat, feeling the weight of your body sink into the chair below you. Then moving up into the torso, you wanna sit up in a way that's both alert and relaxed. Just playing around a little bit and seeing how you need to align your spine to be both alert and relaxed and adjusting your neck your head so that
2: you're in alignment and allowing your eyes to soften Just taking
1: a moment to notice what this experience of a sitting
2: with the eyes closed feels like. So this may be the first time you've closed your eyes since you got up this morning.
1: And just making room and space for whatever this
2: experience may be.
1: And now let's turn the attention to the breath.
2: You might notice your breath
1: as you breathe in the cool air through your nostrils
2: and feeling the warm air as you exhale. There's no need to
1: change how you breathe. Your body knows how to breathe. But we're just placing our attention on the breath.
2: Our breath is always with us, like a constant companion,
1: like a friend that you can always rely on. Returning back to this home base, this center of just noticing and feeling your
2: breath. Might notice what parts of your body is
1: involved
2: with this activity called breathing. Perhaps you can feel your chest rise and fall. Or maybe you can notice the breath in your belly expanding and contracting the diaphragm. You notice that your mind has wandered away,
1: perhaps to a thought, to a memory, or noticing different sensations or emotions. Just gently guide your attention
2: back to the breath, breathing in. And breathing out. just like watching clouds in the sky, we can
1: observe our mind and thoughts as it forms
2: and eventually goes away. Sometimes your mind will
1: feel Clear like a beautiful spring day.
2: And other days might be like a thunderstorm. Making room and space for all of those experiences. And always returning back to your center. And as we get ready to bring this practice to a close,
1: take a moment to observe and notice. There's perhaps a word or
2: a phrase that you'd like to carry with you throughout the rest of your day. May you be happy. May you be free from suffering. May all beings be happy and free from suffering. And very gently,
1: whenever you feel ready, beginning to wiggle your fingers and toes and moving your body
2: in any way that feels good to you. And allow your eyes to open.
0: Well, as we're all coming back to the world from that, you can do that whenever and take as long to, or as sure as, as you need to, to kind of refresh your mind. It's really a neat feeling.
1: It is. Yeah. Yeah. And if, you know, you remember nothing else from this episode, just remember to breathe, you know, just pausing and intentionally just taking three breaths, like inhaling and exhaling. You know, that saying count to 10 before you say something when you're angry, it works, but you actually have to breathe through it. You can't go 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 10. It's not
0: going to work so well tell us briefly about the the book you have coming out cuz i would i wouldn't dream of of having you on without giving you the opportunity to plug so
2: Oh,
1: thank you. I appreciate that. Um, The book is titled The Anxious Lawyer. It's available for pre-sale on Amazon right now. It is being published by the ABA. And um, you can pre-order now and it will be shipped to you sometime early next year. And if you're interested in the book, I really invite you to pre-order because that does make a huge impact in terms of how the book ranks when it's released and how many copies the distributor's orders and so on and so forth. So like one copy pre-order is a Equivalent to ten copies post release.
0: And uh, just for, for anyone listening who's interested, there will be a link for that directly to the pre-order right on the blog post that's accompanying this. So if you're interested, you could uh, access it directly through the Cyber Advocate. Though so feel free to do that. If you were to summarize the book, I I, I do remember speaking to you. Uh, I was I think it was you, me, and Joshua and I, and having a good conversation way back several months ago when you were just kind of hammering out your initial manuscript summarize what this book is about, if you can.
1: Yeah, so it's, I wanted it to be a very approachable guide for lawyers, so lawyers can just pick up the book and work through it um, at your own pace. It's an eight-week self-guided book. There's um, lots of room for journaling exercises, and also my co-author and I, we really try to make it accessible to lawyers, and all the examples that we use in the book are from our law practice. Um, so hopefully that will, um, be relatable to other lawyers. It's not, you know, like a meditation teacher writing a book for lawyers. It's like lawyers writing the book for other lawyers. Um, so yeah.
0: All right. If you want to get in contact with Gina Cho, there will be a link available on the, uh, the blog post as well as other helpful information about mindfulness and meditation. Gina, thank you for uh, joining us today. It was an absolute pleasure. Thank you. You've been listening to the Legal Technology Review podcast. We'll see you next week.